Dead men tell no tales. Fifty men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 38 of Dead Man's Chest. Yeah, we're still on Dead Man's Chest. That's strange. Minute 38. Wow. It's only 150 episodes to cover Dead Man's Chest. So we're in the baby stages still. We've got a long road ahead. We're still in the intro stages. Kind of is, in a way, right? In a way. I mean, 38 minutes in, but it still feels like we're still getting a feel for some of it. Not quite like we were before, but we're kind of there. Yeah. Because we still haven't had all the main characters really come together. Come That's, out. I think, what it is. <laughs> don't ask, don't tell. How dare you? They didn't come out. They're not together yet. We don't have Jack really interacting with Will and Elizabeth. And I think that's what we really want to see. That's what kicks off the movie. Right. Is that interaction. In the previous minute, to win it, a couple of dangling bone balls managed to grasp the ravine's short mm, foliage and engage in a race to the top of every pirate for himself scenario. Alone Pelagostos practices his balance on a simple suspension bridge and is often the case in nature. The prey manages to remain camouflaged while stationary currently safe from the hunter. Minute 38 begins with Will Turner telling Leech's group to stop. Shh. Everyone looks to see the native crossing the bridge. Leech reiterates the shh command, but motions to his mates to continue climbing the wall of the ravine. First come, first to the ship. The minute ends with the torch native running into camp and yelling to the tribe, Ah, Fifi! The tribe goes crazy and repeats the prompt, Fifi! Or is it Fi-Fi? Fi-Fi? I don't remember now. Fi-Fi, Fifi. Fifi. Fifi sounds a little Fifi. You get my five 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 five. Let's go with five five. Simultaneously, Captain Jack Sparrow now finds himself tied to a spit with the rope he recovered from the hut of horrors. Jack looks worried as he watches the native extend the torch to the wood pile to light it. Technically, he was already tied to it, but we get the real good shot of him being placed on it. I don't want Heather to browbeat me down or get me on a technicality here. As revealed by the writers Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, Leech, actually, his name first. I should start with this. His name was first spelled like the blood-sucking critter, but was later changed to two E's. I mean, maybe they didn't want it to be too much like a parasite, so they changed it to leech with two E's. Maybe. I don't know, something like that. Anyways, But le- you don't actually see it spelled anywhere except in the credits, so... Exactly. Does it really matter? I don't know why they would change it then. Yeah. Why would they do that? I have no clue, because okay, then... it wouldn't matter. So my hypothesis must be correct. Maybe. Maybe when they were, it's like, he's like, oh, please, I don't want to be associated with that. And then they said, okay, you're right. Anyways, where I was going with this is Leech was given many of the lines that would normally have been spoken by Gibbs. 
This made Kevin McNally wonder if his character Gibbs was to be killed off while reading the script. And though he later realized Leech was set up in a way to give his character more meaning and be more meaningful to the audience. And that's why he got a lot of those early lines. Because you do see him with a lot of lines that Gibbs would have. Some of kind of that exposition stuff, but those kind of witty comebacks, the discussions with Jack about the treasure and what's going on. How come we don't see anything? The crew's getting restless. And that's a lot of that goes to Leech for a while. Right. Now here... It doesn't. And this is kind of like Leech, too, because Leech gets that. Well, technically, it's only six people that are required to crew the Black Pearl. That yeah. would be something similar to what Gibbs would say, in a way. Right. But so that that's the thing. I mean, they did it to give this character, Leech, more meaning to the audience, make him more meaningful to the audience. And I don't know if it worked. I mean, did this work for you? Was it more meaningful? No. I, it wasn't for me either. I'm not sure if it really was. No. The, the problem is that the two groups turned on each other. Yeah. The This, I mean, really effectively made it our group or your group kind of thing. But we're not working together. And that's what ruined the meaningful death of Leech and his fellow mates. I mean, not that we really cared about his fellow mates. No, Leech I, is the one that we really saw more of than the other I guys. I cheered him on. Just kidding. <laughs> wow. You're, you're pretty <laughs> brutal. I mean, don't you think, though? I mean, we aren't going to root for Leech. Right. I mean, we're not going to root against our main characters. And that puts Leech in a bad spot. Yeah. So to make him more meaningful, I just don't think that that worked for me. They would have to put Leech in the good bone colony. There you go. He's in there and he falls out or gets knocked off when they get to the top or something like that. Then it'd be a different story. That's right. Because he was in the other bone basket. The bone basket now. Yeah. Yeah. Because if they were all working together... Then it's more meaningful to the audience yeah. when he dies. But when they turned him against the good crew, it made him not as valuable. Because we're always rooting for the good crew. The good crew, she says. Yeah, Gibbs, Cotton, okay. Will. You know, we're always rooting for those guys. So to put him in the to put him in the other basket with the bad guys was a mistake they made if they wanted to make him more meaningful. Well, I think maybe they tried to make it more meaningful, but I don't think it was very successful because, and I'm not blaming Leech or his acting for this, but both pirate groups essentially went rogue on each other. They realized neither group could be trusted and they start to scramble for the top. But I think that ruined the moment for us caring for Leech. They were engaged in every man for himself scenario. And then we as the audience kind of did the same thing. I mean, thus one group really had to fail and the audience wouldn't vote for Gibbs and Will to die. Right. So Leech and his crew had to be that fall guy, right. if you will. That pun intended. <laughs> I maybe expected there to be a race for the ship, actually, when I first saw this. I mean, but not a bone cage uh, uh, drop to their death. A foot race? Yeah, a foot race. Better than being left behind for cannibal fodder, though. That's true. But I think that's what I would have was expecting, is them to actually race towards the ship. Or two groups going... Towards the ship, maybe the cannibals pursue Leech and his guys while the other guys are off to get Jack. Oh, yeah. That's kind of maybe where I was expecting things to go when I first saw it. Yeah. Some behind-the-scenes stuff, though, kind of really behind-the-scenes. We're talking screenplay draft stuff here. The revision screenplay draft of Dead Man's Chest. And Leech, well, his demise and that of his buddies here was actually supposed to be a little bit different than we actually see on screen. They were meant to still be climbing the cliff when Will Turner's cage had already reached the top of the cliff. 
only to leech grabbing some vine turned into a snake and then they later fall to their deaths in the finished version of the film so they were actually supposed to almost like reach the top of this oh, thing oh okay so there were some tweaks that they made to that like will was already up there and then these guys were just about to get up there and then they fall to their death so i wonder if they were trying to maybe bring some of that their will is waiting for them a bit and mm. then they're all going to go together yeah. i don't know i love the motley crew montage though when the second bone cage falls with all the pirates yelling it's like cotton gibbs and will i mean even the bridge native poor marty he doesn't really get any screen time there no I mean, who's your favorite, like, holy S, the bone cage just plummeted to the island floor look? Gibbs. Gibbs does a, like, <gasps> shocked look yeah. with his mouth open. Yeah. I'm going to have to go cotton on this one. It's yeah? a gritted teeth followed up by this squint, his classic squint. Hey, I mean, who wouldn't have the look of shock watching that fiasco <laughs> yeah. happen? You know these guys. I mean, yeah, you, have been you may sailing not like with them. them, but you know them. Well, yeah, you're pirate backstabby, but you're still going to be, like, in shock when they fall down. Because that also just opens the door to, wait a second here. It's possible we could fall if we accidentally let go. It's like, hold on to these vines with dear might. Right. You don't want that vine snapping. Which actually gets back to what we were talking about in the previous episode of how they got people in there. So it's not like they put everybody in the cage and kind of gently rolled it off because that vine could snap. Right. So there you go. Some other way. And why didn't that vine snap when they were just hanging there? Because the tension put on it. You drop it. And there's a weight on there, creates a problem. Is if it's gently lowered. Okay. And it's a snapping action when it all that weight hits it. A big difference. Fear of snakes. Do you know what that's called? Ophidiophobia. No, I did not know that. There you go. Actually, it's an abnormal fear of snakes. Grabbing a snake by accident when you think it's a vine. That's more of in line of what in the hell? That's an evolution <laughs> reaction because grabbing a snake when you think it's a vine. That's a totally like normal thing. That's that it is. Fear snakes. But why did everybody let go of their vines? That's a good question. It's not like he was supermaning the no. whole thing. And I don't even know how much vine he actually had. Well, he didn't have any vine at that point. He had a snake. Yeah. But why did everybody else let go of their vine? I guess they all got scared of the snake. The, I mean, you, you hold on. I think, but that's the thing. Instinct says... The woman jumps on the, okay, stereotype. The woman jumps on the chair with the mouse. Because I get all my things about reality from cartoons and how women <laughs> react. And they all see a mouse and they jump up on the stool and scream. So I think that's how they evolution makes that happen. So I assume that all pirates, then when they see a snake, throw up their hands and let go of the vines. It's always important never to let go of your vines. Yeah. And that's when they fall to their death. They should have. Somebody should have held on. Just because he right? freaks out with the snake, just hang on to the vine. Right? I think it's automatic reaction, though. What kind of snake is this? Do you have this information, or are you coming to the expert? I'm coming to the expert. You bet your ass you got it right. We talked a bit about coral snakes in an earlier episode. Thanks for setting me up, because I was really struggling for this other transition here. Not really. I mean, we were talking about the snake. But the Pelagosos have some designs that are reminiscent of coral snakes that I thought. So I'm not going to get into that right now. Again, I should say. But we do get the appearance of a snake in this minute, our vine snake here. Yes. Perhaps a snake that influenced their art, you know, nature's art kind of thing. While confined inside a hanging bone cage, Leech grabs for a vine that turns out to be the snake. The cliff was a set piece, actually, and the actor rehearsed the scene many times with a fake rubber snake to perfect his timing. During filming, an off-screen trainer handed the orange, black, and white king snake to the actor, who held it level with his own head for a moment and then screamed and tossed the snake down into the trainer's arms 
waiting below. And then as a precaution, crew members held up a thick furniture pad around the area to cushion the snake in case the trainer failed to catch it, which actually never happened. He caught it. He caught it. Awesome. Caught the little king snake. And king snakes do look an awful like... (laughs) What the hell is going on there? (laughs) And king snakes do look an awful like coral snakes. Awful lot? An awful lot. Awful like. Is that another idiom? Another phrase that I've screwed up? Damn it. What is with they look phrases? an awful lot like. Yeah, look an awful lot like. Thanks. It's Not like I was lot, look, missing a word there. Like. So, how dare you? Don't talk to me like that. If I want to omit a word, I'll omit a word. Yeah, they look an awful a lot like. Or as I like to say, look an awful like. <laughs> Don't ever talk to me again like that. How dare you? And they do look like coral snakes. How's that? And the latter of which coral snakes can be poisonous. There's a little mnemonic to help you remember which snakes are deadly and those that aren't when it comes to coral snakes. Are you going to get this right? I'm going to get this right. I'm going to try. And it does have a connection to a character in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, really? Yeah. Makes it even better. Harmless. Okay, here you go. Harmless. Red touches black. You're okay, Jack. Oh. And then the deadly ones. Red touches yellow. You're a dead fellow. So red touches black. You're okay, Jack. Red touches yellow. You're a dead fellow. So when you guys are confronted in the wild with a snake... You know which one to pick it up. You know, red touches black. Oh, you're okay, Jack. Not that I endorse you picking up wild animals. Pirates of the Caribbean does not endorse handling of wild snakes. Let them be. I mean, well, maybe coral snakes aren't quite as deadly with fatalities as I was saying deadly coral snakes. I mean, I guess it's pretty uncommon. But deadly snakes just make better radio, though. If I yes. said poisonous, but not really a lot of fatalities, you're just like, oh, whatever. I'm going to forget that mnemonic. But if I say deadly, then you're going to be like, oh, my God. Better radio. Yeah, it is. The king snake species inhabit the Americas from southeastern Canada to southern Ecuador. There are several species vary widely in size and coloration. Adult scarlet king snakes are typically 16 to 20 inches in length, while the common king snake can grow up to six feet long. And some king snakes are colored in muted browns to black, while others are brightly marked with whites, reds, yellows, and grays, and even lavenders that form rings longitudinal stripes speckles and saddle shapes and bands and all kinds of things so there's quite a variety for king snakes although i didn't specifically find any king snakes inhabiting the caribbean there are snakes belonging to the same subfamily and also there are false coral snakes in trinidad and tobago yeah i mean maybe coral and king snakes in this area on pelagosis uh, maybe plausible well this king snake is acting coral snake it is so i think he's trying to be more venomous yeah so, like I said, there I mean, there are king snakes in Trinidad and Tobago, not necessarily this one, but I think that they're trying to come across as more of a poisonous snake that you would look at, a more coral snake, even though they don't really reference it as a coral snake in the movie. Right. This Pelagostos bridge guy is thinking, oh no, my dinner fell into the gorge. Yeah, that's probably why he gets that look of shock. <laughs> He's like, oh my God, we're not going to eat tonight. <laughs> Is there all these guys go down? I mean, because he's, he's left out there guarding them. And so he doesn't know maybe Jack's about ready to be cooked up. So he's just thinking, oh, my God, there goes our dinner. Exactly. And who knows how long it is in between people coming to the island for meals. And then they have to go, oh, I guess we're just going to have to have wild pig or bird or whatever else that they Which catch. Which is definitely not as, good, not as good as long no, pork. No, come on. you got to have the long pork, especially since you have a bunch of paprika on hand. you got to use that stuff to its fullest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But he had a classic reaction, too, as yeah. he sees this fall. Because they've probably never seen anything like it before. I don't think he's ever seen a bone cage just fall with a bunch of guys in it. That's going right. to be pretty shocking. Yeah. 
He didn't look like he'd seen it before. Or he's like, oh my God, thank God I didn't grab that snake. That thing's really poisonous. <laughs> he's like, oh, whoa. Oh, glad that was them and not me. I was just climbing that ravine wall the other day. <laughs> Did you think the guy running into the tribe was the one running from the bone cage area? At first, when you seen him running, no, I don't think he's running, running from the bone cage area. I think that I thought they were. Yeah, I but, think they were two separate people. The guy on the bridge, the bridge guard, was looking at this stuff happening, and then there was a completely separate guy that was like tasked with bringing the the fire in the fi fi to cook up Jack. That's what I saw. But when the grid bridge guy starts running. Then they go to this guy oh, with the Fi Fi guy. I didn't know right, and that he starts cut. coming into town yelling or coming into the tribe yelling. No, I didn't catch that. That it was that seamless of that yeah. transition. It looked like it was the same guy at first until you realize he's made up different. But because you see him start to run away, and then all of a sudden they cut to the guy coming into the tribe area I, yelling. I have, I have to look at that again because I don't know. I mean, we could do it right here. We could take a an elevator break here. Uh, you have some nice <laughs> elevator music going, and we could take a look at that. But I didn't get that the transition was that abrupt. I mean, we've seen some other maybe not-so-great edits and in, in transitions in this movie from one scene to the next. We've talked about some of those. Well, this but is- I didn't notice that it was that that it was made to look almost confusing where I didn't know who this was. For some reason, yeah. I didn't catch that. And the verdict, the guy doesn't actually run. Heather's misremembering this. Well, I've seen somebody okay. running, running across one of the rope bridges. Okay, so what happens is, is the guy, the bridge guard, sees what's happening. He has the look of horror as these leech and his mates fall to their death. And then it cuts right away from that guy's reaction to a guy the running native, on the bridge. The torch native who is running across the other bridge, the one that goes from the hut of horrors. To the one with the camp where they're going to be cooking up Jack, who's on the spit. And that's a Fi-Fi guy. And so there is a quick cut, but it is completely separate. And it's not like the bridge guy is running and then it shows this other guy running. So right. he's actually stationary and just had the look of shock. And then we we kind of transition to the back of this other guy starting to run into the camp. Yeah. I just assumed, which makes... That's it's right. So me. I so I didn't catch that as being too wrong. No, 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 no. Bad. I didn't think it was wrong. I didn't think it was bad. I just thought it was an interesting way to do well, it. Well, I think it would have been a poor choice if the guy was running and then they showed this other guy running. That would have caused confusion for sure. Right. In the revision screenplay draft of Dead Man's Chest, the bridge native was named as Cannibal Sentry. But he was to give the alarm about the escape of the Black Pearl's crew just by seeing them, not because Leech and his mates say fell to their death and screamed all the way down like in the finished version of the film. Yeah. So he was just supposed to look over and see them because as we talked about see them climbing the they wall. almost get to the top yeah. and so they didn't fall off at that point. We also get another native to focus on here and I mentioned him he's torch native. He's the one we see as Jack was placed on the spit above the stack of wood. Yeah. And this native then ran across the bridge with the intent of igniting the of igniting or igniting igniting I'll look that up and review and see if I actually said igniting. Because if I didn't, then how dare you? If I did, you obviously made me misspeak. Misspeak. Misspoke. <laughs> Anyways, he's the guy who comes running in with the fire. It's easy. Torch native. Torch cannibal. He's the guy with the torch. Okay? And he's the one who's shouting excitedly, Ah, Fi-Fi! 
with the rest of the tribe then answering in kind. Which, if you couldn't decipher that gem, fi fi means fire. Hmm, fire bad, you know? Yes. Fi fi. Torch Native was played by Jonathan Limbo. Has three credits to his IMDb resume. Besides this one here, he returns in At World's End as a pirate. That's it. I mean, he's credited as a pirate. There's no other thing for him. He's just one of the pirates in the background there. Then he has an appearance on the TV show The Guild where he played a convention attendee. So he has a lot of range. Mm, Goes from cannibal to convention attendee to pirate. This guy can do all kinds of different things. That he can. Yeah. He's talented. Multi-faceted actor. That's all I got, though. That's it. That is it. Going to keep it short. But actually, yeah. Because actually I was going to say, and just as a reminder, we're doing really bad eggs where we highlight our favorite lines from the week every other week now because we're doing three days per week. So not this week, but next week, which is good because it opens the door to having more lines. Otherwise, we're just like choosing between Fi-Fi and, ah, you know, it's the guy's (laughs) fault when they're done. So better to have more minutes in there. That's all I have to say. So that's it. And I think it's time to get the hell out of here for Friday. Okay, sounds good. It's been kind of a serious week, though. It has. We haven't really taken to, well, we haven't been as jovial with these minutes, maybe, as we should. Or maybe we have. I'll have to listen to them again. But we try with the long pork. I think that there was a lot of serious stuff in history that I brought to it. But I needed, yeah. to, I needed to ratchet it up a bit. Maybe I just wasn't as satisfied with my minutes this week. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that to everybody out there. Like, oh, I'm really disappointed in myself for these episodes. <laughs> Hope you like these episodes, guys. I thought they you know, sucked. But, you know, hey, whatever. So there we go. We'll be back on Monday with Minute 39. And hopefully a better attitude for Scott of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling. And I was going to say the rum drinking, but we don't want to do that. So let's just keep the horn swoggling to a minimum and then the rum drinking to a maximum. How about that? Sounds good. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew listeners group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. Yo ho ho and a bottle of a rum. Yo! This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, 
That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest, well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.